Welcome to Straight Thinking, a GPS for the Christian mind, teaching you how to think, not just what to think. This is Joe Aguirre with theologian and philosopher Kenneth Samples and physicist Dave Rogstad. On today's podcast, how to apply abductive reasoning to conspiracy theories. Uh, Ken, it's always interesting to see what people are talking about when they engage you on social media. And sometimes you address those topics here as well. So maybe you can give us a little more uh, background as to what we're going to look into today. Well, conspiracy theories are, are very common in our time. I, I, I think even uh, I think even the, the pandemic has kind of raised more conspiracy theories, um, you know, relating to government, relating to what the power that government does, maybe the control that a government can have over people. So I think that to be a careful thinker, um, there are things that stand in our way, uh, logical fallacies that we have to identify and not get tangled up in. There's also biases, you know, confirmation bias, various prejudices and biased ways of thinking. We have to, we have to not be entangled by that. But I, I think there are also conspiracy theories, uh, and some of them are, are false. Probably most of them are false, not all of them. So we have to learn how to kind of navigate through that. And I, I think what's important here, uh, Joe, is that Scripture tells us, uh, uh, you know, to put things to the test. Scripture tells us to test things. It tells us uh, not to believe things too quickly to have intellectual renewal. So I, I think the way Christian thinks is very important. I think that when we're careful, we're discerning, we're reflective, I think we honor God. So I'd like to spend this program talking a little bit about careful thinking, and we'll kind of use uh, conspiracy theories. And, and my favorite conspiracy theory is the JFK assassination. So I thought I'd use that as an example to illustrate how to how to be more careful and critical in our thinking. Hmm. Sounds good. All right, let's let's get into it. Well, I don't know about you, but it seems to me that conspiracy theories they never go away. Uh, you know, we're still talking about UFO conspiracies. Um, we're, we're still talking about Area Fifty One. Uh, we're you know did did NASA really go to the moon? Uh, people still suggest that uh, George Bush knocked the Twin Towers down. Um, you know, there are secret societies, uh, clandestine plots of the United States government. Um, and, you know, these are powerful claims that high level American leaders are uh, in the federal government are involved in things like assassinations and cover ups and secret societies. Now, I want to say something, you know, it's, it's possible they are, but what if you say that they are and they're not? Uh, you know, I, I think of what scripture says about bearing false witness. I think hmm. about what scripture says about thinking the best of your neighbor and giving the benefit of the doubt. Uh, you know, some people suggest that Lyndon Johnson, who was vice president under John F. Kennedy, uh, upon Kennedy's assassination, became the president of the United States, was, was in uh, the Senate for many, many years. 
Some people say Lyndon Johnson was responsible for the death of his friend, John F. Kennedy. What, what if that's not true? But what, is that, what does that say about Johnson's, you know, place in history, his family, uh, that, that he actually plotted? I mean, that, that's a pretty common idea that Lyndon Johnson was behind it all. Well, hmm. what if it's not true? I don't, I don't want to believe things that are not true. Um, I, I want to be discerning and, 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 and to be reflective. So uh, I think we have to think critically and be discerning. And here's something I wrote in a recent article. I said, as Christians, we have a duty to pursue truth. However, in a fallen world, truth isn't always easy to discern. Nevertheless, creatures made in God's image we possess the ability to reason through explanations carefully and discover truth. I think that's exactly right. That, uh, you know, lots of people have said, your thinking defines who you are. Uh, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. So I think the idea of learning to be careful, to be critical, uh, in our thinking, discerning in our thinking is, is very important. And I, I'd like to talk a little bit, though, about why I think conspiracies remain popular. And, and I'm going to give three reasons here. Uh, I think the first reason that we have to acknowledge is that sometimes conspiracies prove to be true. Mm -hmm. so, so you can't, you know, just a priori reject them, that is to reject something prior to analysis and reflection. Um, you know, there are times where there have been conspiracies. I am not only a student of the presidency of John F. Kennedy, probably my favorite American in history is Abraham Lincoln. And um, it was proven in court that there was a conspiracy to assassinate Lincoln, and it was successful. Uh, and, uh, you know, his assassin was killed, and others who uh, joined with him were put on trial and, and found guilty, and they were hanged. So sometimes conspiracies prove to be true. I, I don't think we should take the position that all conspiracy theories are false. I think most of them are, but not all of them. Uh, and you know, I, I think we also have to acknowledge that the government is not immune from engaging in conspiracy. Um, Nixon, uh, you know, I was I was in high school during the Watergate hearings, and I remember how mad I was that the Watergate hearings uh, were shown instead of the NBA finals. I was like, boy, this must be serious business. But <laughs> You know, there were people that worked for Nixon that admitted that he knew more than what he let on about the Watergate break-in. There have been other presidents, you know, who've claimed certain things and later shown that, you know, they knew a lot more. Uh, so sometimes conspiracies happen and, and the American government is not immune and governments in, in the world are not immune to this. So I'm I, I'm acknowledging that things like this could happen. I, I think conspiracies are also popular uh, because human beings 
are limited. We're, we're finite creatures. We have limitations. We have boundaries. Uh, there's a lot we don't know. Uh, and I think there are times where this bothers us. There are things outside of our control. We have limitations. We, we have boundaries. And uh, so sometimes we think, well, uh, maybe there is this clandestine plot lurking behind something. And part of it is uh, influenced by our real limitations in life. You know, we're, we're finite creatures. Even if we read and reflect and talk and study, there's still things that, that we don't know. And there are things about our government that are done private. I mean, uh, you know, I grew up during the Cold War. Both of you did as well. Um, you know, the government is at war, at least in a Cold War context with the Soviet Union. Uh, there are nuclear weapons that uh, atomic weapons were used to end the Second World War. Um, you know, maybe the government has reasons why it doesn't want people to know about uh, what's going on in Area 51 or you know, the, maybe the government has reasons to be secretive about certain things. How do you know that the uh, the uh, assassination of President Lincoln wasn't a uh, conspiracy? Namely, I'm saying the, the 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 court trial and the conviction of these individuals was all part of a greater conspiracy to blame them for something that someone else was responsible for. I mean, this is, this can be piled on top, on top, on top. Right. Right. Well, I, I think we, I think we have to be reasonable in our, in our doubts. Um, you can read the court records. Uh, you can read uh, things that were written by people who were involved in the trial. Um, you can go back to some extent, even though it's, uh, what, 150 years ago that Lincoln was killed, something close to that. You can look at documents. Uh, we know where he was shot. You can go into the building. We know where his, his body was moved right after. You can examine that. Um, there, there are stories and questions about Booth, John Wilkes Booth. I always thought it was interesting that assassins always have three names. They go by three names, right? Mm. Uh, I don't know what Sirhan's middle name was. Uh, but anyway, the, there are people who say, well, was, uh, was Booth really shot in a barn? Uh, was there something suspicious going on there? But uh, I think if, if the sources uh, that I've studied are credible, and I and I have no reason to believe they're not. Then I, I think I know something about a conspiracy, uh, but that would be a conspiracy that there was no conspiracy, right? When there really was a conspiracy. <laughs> now, a, a third point I want to make here, as to why conspiracies are popular, is I think they serve to kind of what I call even things out. And, and here I'm going to use the JFK assassination as an example. Um, I think for a lot of people, they find it very difficult to think that a person as inconsequential as Lee Harvey Oswald 
acting alone could murder someone as consequential as President John F. Kennedy. I mean, you know, when, when I was growing up, uh, so that includes Joe and Dave's a little bit older, but I think it's true of Dave as well. Uh, you know, the president of the United States during the Cold War, it wasn't just the president of the United States, he's the leader of the free world. Uh, America became a superpower. And, uh, you know, other people in NATO, other people in the Western Alliance, they look to America for leadership. Um, yeah, the, 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 the free world was in a hostile relationship with, you know, the enslaved world of, of communism. But in many respects, it was a showdown between the Soviet Union and the United States, between, you know, the leader of the Soviet Union uh, and the leader of the United States of America. I think people look at the president of the United States. I know I looked at President Kennedy that way. He's the man. So how in the world could a inconsequential person like Lee Oswald, I mean, uh, Lee Oswald was making $1.25 an hour when he was working in the book depository building. Uh, when he, when he, the day that he went to the uh, school book depository building, he was driven by uh, a friend who worked there. He left virtually all the money he had, which was about $170, uh, you know, there with his his wife. Um, you know, Lee Oswald had, uh, you know, come from a tough family, uh, didn't have a father in his life. Uh, his mother was uh, a difficult person. Um, you know, he, he uh, moved from school to school to school. You know, could I, could I say, I think Lee Oswald is a lot like the school shooters, typically. No father, um, you know, uh, probably a, a very abusive or neglected life. And uh, but but Lee was not unintelligent. He had a high IQ. You know, he after after he left high school, he went into the Marine Corps, uh, qualified as a sharpshooter. Um, you know, he learned Russian. Later, you know, went to the Soviet Union tried to commit suicide when the Soviet Union wouldn't let him in. They kind of blackmailed him and then he was able to live there. Um, not too many people, by the way, left the United States to go live in the Soviet Union during the height of the Cold War. Yeah. But, but he did. And he married a, a, a young, attractive woman named Marina. They had a child. They came back to the United States. But, there, but there's this question. How, how could this very inconsequential person somehow pull off this, you know, this amazing feat of murdering the president of the United States. So if there is a conspiracy behind it, then that kind of evens out this very implausible scenario. Mm -hmm. Now, there's a lot of thinking going on here. I mean, when we think about government, uh, I remember when um, the idea of, you know, the Twin Towers uh, being knocked down, not by the forces of Osama bin Laden and his, his jihadists, but that maybe George Bush and the federal government did it. Maybe, maybe it was an inside job. Um, well, what was interesting at the time is a lot of people thought George Bush was incompetent as a president. 
Well, I don't know. You can't be too incompetent if he was able to pull off 9-11 and blame it on somebody else. And, and of course, the idea there was America or American leaders wanted to get into a war with people overseas. And so they made 9-11 look like it was a, an attack. Well, that's, these, you know, these government officials are seemingly more competent than we think. So I don't think these conspiracy theories have received sufficient critical analysis. Um, you know, I don't think the Kennedy assassination has been given the kind of critical analysis that it, that it really deserves. And, you know, there are a lot of people that when, when Jack Ruby walked into the Dallas jail Sunday morning, this would be November 24th, uh, exactly, exactly two days after Kennedy had been assassinated in downtown Dallas, you know, Ruby pulled out a pistol and, and shot Jack Ruby on live TV. And a lot of people in America said, what's going on here? First, our president is murdered at, you know, high noon in, in a Dallas street. And now his, his alleged assassin is, is killed. There's, there's a cover-up. You know, who's covering all of this up? Well, um, I don't think those are bad questions, but I, I, I don't think uh, these conspiracies get enough criticism. I, I, I agree with my, my skeptical friends. I think you need to question things. I think you need to challenge things. I, I don't think you should accept things too easily. I think you should always be asking yourself, what's the best argument on the other side? But, you know, I've, I've talked to dozens and dozens and dozens of people about the JFK assassination. And you know what? Almost, I'm not sure I know any person I've argued with about the JFK assassination who has actually read the one-volume Warren Commission report. Now, you know, there's 26 volumes that contain all kinds of evidence and documents and things of that nature. But there's a one volume, it's 888 pages. I have it on my bookshelf. By the way, it's available online. Um, I'm not sure I know anybody I've ever argued with about the JFK assassination who concluded that there was a conspiracy who actually read the public record. You know, maybe, maybe, there, was an, maybe there was a conspiracy. Um, as I'll go on to say, the, the House Select Committee that happened in the 1970s, they concluded that there was likely a conspiracy. But a lot of times we don't question these things. So with the JFK assassination, in 2001, there was a Gallup poll and 81% of Americans thought that there was a conspiracy behind the death of President Kennedy. Now, I, I noticed by 2018, that number had dropped to 60%. Now, I'll give away my bias if, if nobody already doesn't know my position. I think Lee Oswald killed President Kennedy. And I don't think there's any credible evidence that anybody helped him. In fact, one of the reasons I think Oswald was the assassin is Oswald, you couldn't get Oswald to, to cooperate with anybody under any circumstances. I think both Lee Oswald and Jack Ruby were very troubled people. But troubled people can pull a trigger. 
you know, you look at the school shootings. Uh, these are young men, young, young kids, uh, young adults, and they're troubled. And they're, they have all kinds of difficulties, but they know how to, they know how to use a rifle. Um, I, I think the reality is that um, the explanation of, of, of the Warren Commission, and by the way, Vincent Bogliosi, who uh, knows a little bit about legal investigations, he uh, was a district attorney in Los Angeles for many years. I think, I think he had 106 cases. He tried 106 cases, won 105. Uh, Vincent Bogliosi tried, of course, uh, Man the Manson case in the late 60s, early 1970s. Vincent Bogliosi said that the Warren Commission investigation was the most investigated crime in history. Ten months, uh, lawyers, investigators. Uh, so, um, you know, I, I bring you back to this idea. You have the Warren Commission members. Uh, these are leading. I mean, one of them is the, the head of the Supreme Court, Earl Warren. Uh, others are, uh, you know, Gerald Ford was on the Warren Commission, later became president of the United States. If these people were involved in a cover-up, if can you imagine the head of the Supreme Court actually falsifying materials, knowing that there was a conspiracy to murder the president and he covered it up? I mean, but suppose all that's wrong. What 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 have you done to their their character? Um, you know, I, I think, guys, that sometimes it's important to talk about Christians and our obligation to our neighbor. Uh, the Lord calls us to love our neighbor. That, that's not an easy thing to do uh, because we're preoccupied with our own life. But I, I think at minimum, uh, loving your neighbor means that, you know, you don't, pardon the pun, you don't assassinate their character. Uh, you know, you, you kind of want to think the best of them. But you know these are these are conspiracies, and and of course probably the best example of the conspiracy with JFK is was a movie done by Oliver Stone. Now I, I liked Oliver Stone as a movie maker. Um, I watched a number of his films prior to that. Uh, he did one on the Vietnam War that uh, I thought was very provocative. Um, but JFK, uh, I don't think I'm being I don't think I'm using hyperbole to say that if you watch the Oliver Stone movie, JFK, you'll conclude that everybody but Oswald murdered John F. Kennedy. Mm. The CIA, the FBI, Lyndon Johnson, uh, Richard Nixon, um, <laughs> on and on and on. Now, all of that then to say, how do we sort through these kinds of things? How do we, how do we work through them? I don't doubt that there are conspiracies. I think some have been proven. Uh, I think the government has been caught doing things that are wrong. Um, I think the pandemic will produce more books. It's said there that the JFK assassination has produced 2,000 books. Wow. Uh, I suspect that uh, there'll be at least that many about the pandemic. Mm -hmm. 
and about vaccines, about the shutdown, about what what the government leaders knew, what the medical leaders knew, what was happening. I, you know, there are a lot of conspiracies. One is about the vaccines. Uh, you know, maybe the government is putting things in people's bodies that are not healthy or uh, all kinds of these kinds of things. So I think it's important that, that we think about these issues. I think, I think a Christian has a duty to be, to be careful and to be reflective. And I, I think that when we are that way, I think it buttresses our witness to the world. Mm -hmm. So let me, let, me, uh, let me stop for a moment, pause, see if there's anything you want to bring up before we take a look at abductive reasoning. Keep going. Okay, abductive reasoning. Now, I don't mean abduction like UFOs abduct people from their home. That's a different kind of abduction. Uh, I like to joke that uh, the alien beings, they have uh, the space aliens, they have their own logic. It's they prefer abduction to deduction and induction. Um, I can be, I can have a little humor. I call that highbrowed humor. That's logical humor. But let, like me introduce, let me introduce abductive reasoning. Um, abductive reasoning is different than deduction. Uh, with deduction, you, if you do it right, you can produce arguments that provide certainty. The problem with deduction is it has limited application, but you know, all types of reasoning, um, you know, modus ponens, modus tollens, these are rational forms of reasoning that are deductive in nature. Induction is more, much more popular and applicable. Uh, I think the scientific method is largely an inductive method where you look at probabilities. But scientists use deductive arguments as well. But where abduction comes is uh, it really isn't focused on certainty or probability. It's trying to provide the best explanation. It's a diagnostic form of reasoning. Now, scientists used abduction when they when they develop their uh, hypothesis. How, you know, how can I set up something I can test and verify? Uh, abductive reasoning is involved. Uh, it's it's engaged by all thoughtful people. My my doctor uses it. You know, he has me come in, uh, looks at my tests. Uh, you know, do the blood test looks at all these things, looks at my history, asks me, well, Ken, is, where does it hurt? What's happening? Developing, okay, Ken, here's your problem. Uh, that's, a, that's an abductive way of reasoning. Uh, doctors do it. Um, uh, attorneys do it. Crime scene investigators do it. Um, I always tell the story, my father was a, was a truck and car mechanic and my dad was the, he was the guy they called in when they had kind of a difficult situation and, you know, they couldn't fix the, the engine. And my dad would come in and he was a troubleshooter. He would try to figure out. And I, I remember as a kid, my dad could open the hood of a car for somebody and he'd listen to it for a few minutes, have kind of a, pensive look in his face and then he'd say oh well that's a carburetor problem or that you know that's a transmission problem 
And I, I remember as a kid, I thought my dad must be the smartest guy in the world. I mean, who could possibly listen, just listen, not even take a bolt off, not even bring out a tool. But my dad wasn't a genius. My dad had been around cars his whole life. Uh, my dad was self-educated, but he knew enough about the internal combustion engine to think about it like it had symptoms and symptoms pointed to particular problems. And so, so my dad was engaged. He wouldn't have known what abductive reasoning was, but that's exactly what he was doing. He was asking, what's the best explanation for the problem that this person has with their, with their engine? Now, let me, uh, let me return to the JFK assassination and then kind of operate uh, you know, some abductive reasoning. Uh, the Warren Commission, of course, is the, you know, it's the official record. Um, it, it was conducted from December of 1963 to September 1964. Uh, Ten months of investigation. Uh, Lyndon Johnson talked Earl Warren into heading it. Uh, there were two senators, two congressmen. There was uh, uh, one of the former leaders of the CIA, there was a, a banking executive. So this Warren Commission, they, they had subpoena power, they had all the lawyers that could possibly need, and they investigated, they had police uh, working with them and for them, and uh, the Warren Commission produced the single volume and then 26 additional volumes. Uh, I've read the Warren Commission report a number of times. I have a number of those 26 volumes on my shelf here. And, and the Warren Commission concluded that they developed what they called the lone gunman theory, that Oswald was acting alone, uh, that people saw Oswald, first of all, Oswald worked at the School Book Depository uh, the gunshots that erupted on, on Elm Street about 12.30 in the afternoon, uh, all of the people there, excuse me, most of the people there thought they came from the direction of the school book depository. Oswald had worked there for about six weeks. People, employees had seen him on the sixth floor. There were two people standing on Elm Street who looked up and actually saw Oswald uh, in the sixth floor window. One of them saw him with the rifle and described him. That's how they got the first description of Lee Oswald. And there was uh, only one person missing from one employee missing after the assassination. It was Lee Harvey Oswald. They later found his rifle on the sixth floor. It was one that he had purchased as a Manlicher Carcano rifle, Carcano, uh, World War II rifle. Uh, not not terrific rifle, but reliable. It had a scope on it. Uh, the the shells that had ejected from a bolt action rifle were found there. They found his palm print on the rifle. Um, later, uh, about an hour afterwards, uh, eyewitnesses about a half a dozen of them saw Lee Oswald shoot a uh, a. a policeman, J.D. Tippett, uh, and then he fled to uh, the Texas theater, and that's where the Dallas police were able to apprehend him. So a lot of people uh, point a lot of blame. They say, well, the 
you know, the Secret Service didn't do their job, the um, FBI didn't do its job, the uh, police force there in Dallas didn't do their job, but but actually they had apprehended Oswald within 90 minutes of him killing President Kennedy. Um, later, the Warren Commission had criticism for everybody. They criticized the, the you know, the people who protected the president. They criticized, uh, you know, the Dallas police. Uh, Secret Service, etc. But that was the lone gunman theory. And uh, they had a powerful case. Uh, I think they would have clearly convicted Oswald. I think he would have been put to death. But two days later, almost exactly two days later, um, Jack Ruby, who owned a nightclub, who was, uh, he, you know, he was kind of friendly with the cops. Uh, Jack Ruby, drove over to the Western Union to send a message to one of his employees, had a strip club, a nightclub there in Dallas, all the cops would go in and give him free drinks. So he was very friendly with the Dallas policeman. Well, he was uh, at 1117. He uh, sent a Western Union money to one of his one of the ladies that worked for him. And then at 1121, four minutes later, he shot Lee, Ar- Lee Harvey Oswald in the, the Dallas jail basement. Now, when they looked back at it, they discovered that he left his dog in his car and that four minutes before he killed uh, Oswald, he was sending a, a Western Union message. Um, he f- kind of stumbled into the, the book depository and saw Oswald, and he said Oswald had a smirk on his face, and uh, Ruby said later that he wanted to show that Jews had guts. Jack Ruby was Jewish. He wanted to show the world that Jews have guts, and uh, he wanted to be seen as a hero, and he didn't want Jacqueline Kennedy to come back, have to come back to Dallas to face a trial, so he put a bullet in, in uh, Lee Oswald's abdomen, now, Oswald was taken to the hospital, of course, and uh, at one point they had gotten his, his numbers, uh, you know, stable. They thought they had got him stable, and then it just dropped. Hmm. And Oswald died almost exactly 48 hours after John Kennedy had been, been killed on Elm Street. So this big uh, killing the killer, assassinating the assassin, led a lot of people to wonder, and I think rightfully so. Were they, you know, was there a conspiracy and did Jack Ruby cover it up? Well, I, I'm going to tell you and then I'll move to the House Select Committee and then we'll look at abductive reasoning. I don't think anybody in their right mind, anybody with common sense would have ever hired either Lee Harvey Oswald or Jack Ruby to, to carry out a hit. These two were very troubled people. They were very unreliable people. They, uh, you couldn't get Oswald to cooperate with anybody. You couldn't shut up Jack Ruby. He'd tell you anything, anytime, anywhere. Um, They're not the kind of people that would have done a professional hit. Uh, It was just, it was just one of those extraordinary things that happened. Now, uh, a lot of people are questioning this. So in the 1970s, the, you know, there are people calling up the Congress and saying, look, you need to look into these assassinations, not only the assassination of John F. Kennedy in 1963, but the assassination of 
uh, Martin Luther King in, in what was it, uh, April, May of 1968. And then Robert Kennedy killed here in Los Angeles at the Ambassador Hotel, uh, you know, June, the, the night after the election where Robert Kennedy won the California primary. So a lot of people were complaining and, and uh, saying, what about these assassinations? So there was a House Select Committee that was formed that looked at these assassinations. It ran from 1976 to 1978. They were about ready by the time they had worked through the issues. They were about ready to say, we agree with the Warren Commission. And they discovered some uh, uh, audio uh, that they thought were uh, a radio content from the assassination. So Kennedy's convertible was uh, tailed by policemen on motorcycles and they thought that one of them had its radio open and they had recorded the assassination and they heard what what they thought was four shots now four shots that that's too many you know um oswald probably had nine to eleven seconds to pull it off but there were three shots probably the first one completely missed it might have hit a tree it might have hit uh, one of the one of the uh, power lines there. The second shot hit the president in the back, went through his neck, went into uh, Governor Conley. Um, it's called the magic bullet. I think it's actually been shown to be uh, a fact. It's it's not a magic bullet. It's it it really happened. And then the second shot hit the president in the back of the head and blew out the right side of his brain. Um, uh, Clint Hill, who was the Secret Service agent who jumped on the car after the assassination, he said that the whole vertical was covered with brain uh, cell blood, parts of President Kennedy's brain, and he looked into the skull of Kennedy and half of the brain was gone. So Kennedy was, uh, in effect, murdered on Elm Street. He's dead on Elm Street, even though when they got him to Parkland Hospital, his heart was still beating. Well, the House Select Committee thought, hey, we've got, now got evidence there was an extra shot. Four shots means two shooters, likely conspiracy. They concluded that there was a probable conspiracy, two shooters. Now, when you think about abductive reasoning, um, abductive reasoning is kind of hard to evaluate. Um, it's not like deduction or induction. So we have to ask questions. Um, and I'm gonna present some of those questions to you. I think one of the questions that we can have is what I would call a question of consistency. In this case, which assassination theory best holds together foundationally? That, that's largely the problem with conspiracies. As, as broad theories, they're convoluted. They, they don't really hold together. So. When I teach this in my logic class, I say well-conceived theories are logically sound and internally consistent. Viable explanatory theories avoid being self-stultifying or self-defeating in nature. That would be contrary by both contradictory by both affirming and denying the essential elements of the same theory. So do these theories hold together? Uh, that, that's a very important way of approaching it. Do, do I have something here that that has robust 
consistency. And, and obviously, if it's filled with contradictions, then you know I've got a losing perspective here. Number two, uh, facts are really important. Uh, somebody once said, maybe it was, uh, I, don't, I don't know exactly who said it. Um, you know, you have a right to your opinion, but you don't have a right to your own facts. Or as uh, John Adams, the, the great American president, second president of the United States, I don't, I don't think Adams gets enough credit. Uh, he was a real intellectual. By the way, he also is one of the very few founding fathers who had the means to own slaves, but didn't based on principle. He was against slavery right from the get-go. And, and again, he could, have, he could have owned numerous slaves, but he didn't. Uh, you know, he said, facts are stubborn things. I like that. I think that's how we should do apologetics. You know, which assassination theory best comports with the facts? Again, when I present this in a classroom, I say good theories are closely connected to the facts they not only correspond to known facts, but they also make sense by tying them together into a coherent fashion. So, you know, does your theory comport with the facts? Does it fit the facts? If you have to, if you have to ad hoc, if you have to invent things, that's a sign that you're not corresponding well with the facts. Number three, assumptions. Everybody has assumptions. Uh, one of the things I like about the presuppositional approach to apologetics is that the thinkers in, in that approach to doing apologetics say, look, nobody's neutral. Nobody approaches these issues from a pure neutral point of view. I know secular people often think they're neutral. They don't think religious people are neutral, but they think they're neutral. I think the reality is none of us are neutral. All of us have biases. All of us have assumptions. Maybe it's a prejudice. Maybe it's an insight, but you have it. So assumptions, which assassination theory best justifies their assumptions and avoids unwarranted ones? Again, I say, you know, as I present this to my Biola students in, in Introduction to Logic, all theories take things for granted. But but acceptable assumptions have been thought through critically and thus are considered broadly reasonable. Feasible theories attempt to keep assumptions to a minimum. I mean, Dave, this is what you do as a scientist. This is, this is the intelligent approach to the way we analyze things. We, we, you know, we, we try to be careful about you know, making too many assumptions. Number four, uh, good theories are what I call pliable. So which assassination theory is flexible enough to adjust to new or, or counter evidence? You know, for a long time, they thought Lee Oswald had exactly six seconds. And people said, how could, Ken, how could Oswald have pulled off three shots in six seconds? I mean, he's got, a, he's got an older bolt action, Manlinger Carcano, rifle, World War II, um, you know, it's really, it was a $12 rifle. He spent a few more bucks for a, you know, for a scope. Of course, one question I ask is if he were a hired hitman, wouldn't he have a better rifle? 
Now, don't get me wrong, that Carcano was shot by many people afterwards. They tested the rifle. The FBI, some of the best shooters in the world, shot Oswald's rifle. Uh, they set up conditions that were, uh, you know, very similar to what the shooting that Oswald would have potentially done. And they said, it's a good rifle, uh, but it's not the best. If he had been if he'd been a, you know, a hitman, wouldn't he have had a lot better rifle? Uh, well, six seconds. Uh, a lot of analysis has been done and actually what is revealed is probably had anywhere from nine to 11 seconds. And of course the, the, the clock would start ticking when he, full, when he fired the first shot. And many people have been able to duplicate uh, what he did. In fact, the shot from the school book depository, because I've looked through the window, I've been to Daly Plaza about a half a dozen times. It's, it's, uh, it's a shot well within Oswald's ability. So when I talk about pliability, acceptable theories are adaptable enough to accommodate possible counter evidence. The most reliable explanation theories carefully consider alternative critiques and can answer the challenges. I, I really think that's such an important idea that you, you have to be asking, what's the best argument on the other side? Have I, have I heard all the evidence both for and against my view? And if you haven't heard the evidence against your view or the challenge to your view, then you haven't heard all the evidence. And so, you know, like in science, a you know, a model, it has to be pliable. Uh, and if it can accommodate, you know, new data, it, if it can accommodate that, that's a good sign that your model is a good one. Uh, it's a good sign that your, your inference to the best explanation is acceptable. And number five, testable. I, you know, I, I often ask people who believe in conspiracies, um, I say, how would your conspiracy be falsified? And um, I don't know that any of them have ever been able to give me an answer to that. Mm. So if you don't know how your theory would be proved wrong, it's difficult to know how it would be proved right, testable. Which, which assassination theory best makes claims that are theoretically open to being verified and falsified? Uh, at least open. And so I say viable explanatory theories make claims that can be tested and proven true or false, verified or falsified, non-falsifiable claims that cannot be investigated, evaluated, and carried and critiqued, they carry little rational weight. Um, you know, that's the way we kind of want to come at these types of theories. Now, you know, when you work through these things, um, we're, we're really talking about the way careful people approach these kinds of things. And uh, I don't reject conspiracy theories a priori. Um, I'm open to the idea that the government sometimes engages in this kind of activity. Um, I also am aware though that conspiracies kind of even things out. And uh, you know, the Kennedy assassination was very suspicious. Um, but I, I think when we, when we go through it, I'm not so much interested that people conclude with me that Oswald was the lone assassin. 
I'm more interested in helping people to kind of think about this mm -hmm. and to work through it. So let me pause there and see what you guys think. What what's in your mind at this point? Oh, very uh, engaging lesson on history. As far as I'm concerned, is uh, a pleasure to to listen to you know that event uh, over you know, on this podcast, the way you've explained the details, it's a fascinating uh, occurrence, of course, tragic, but just fascinating to learn about uh, everything that went on there. So I appreciate hearing about it. And you're, you're bringing this up because uh, you uh, part of the hallmark of this podcast is careful thinking. Um, and even in our uh, tagline, the goal of apologetics is not victory, but truth. We want to get to the truth of things. And this is a way to help people think about conspiracies. And the context is the JFK assassination. So uh, I get that and I'm tracking with you and I, I've appreciated uh, hearing it. So I don't, I don't have any questions necessarily at this point. Just a pleasure to, to listen along with you. You know, to me, go ahead, uh, go ahead Dave. Well, just a, a comment that, you know, we're, we're uh, unfortunately being subject to a lot of conspiracy theories in our world today, seems like more than ever, people are skeptical. People that uh, I know who are, you know, what I would consider reasonable, not maybe highly educated people, but reasonable people, they don't have any trust in any... Uh, information that comes either out of the media or out of the government. There's just a total lack of belief in that you can get any information that's correct. And you kind of have to try and think these through yourself, often with a limited information, often with, with uh, just further uh, distorted or misinformation that you get on the web. And this is the way people are functioning nowadays. And, and I'm sympathetic to some of that, you know, I, I, uh, I go on the record and say, I think journalism has uh, suffered. Uh, I think so. Uh, you know, some of the big newsmen uh, made their career on the JFK assassination. Uh, Dan Rather, uh, you know, be, be, took over from Walter Cronkite, um, largely because he was a, a major reporter there that day in, in Dallas. And there are a number of people, um, uh, I'm trying to remember the name of the guy that had the nine principles of journalism. Um, he was there that day. Uh, Jim Lehrer. Jim Lehrer was there. He's from Dallas, Texas. Jim Lehrer uh, was one of the reporters. Um, so this, this was a major event. You know, I, I tell my children, I say, you know, this might sound odd, but I said, uh, the assassination of President Kennedy in 1963 was ever bit as jolting as 9-11. It's kind of hard to compare the death of one man to the death of nearly 3,000 American citizens, but it was. It was, it was shocking. It was, it was difficult. Um, I, I even think that the assassination uh, allowed the Beatles to be more popular than they, they were 
because America was mourning. America was in deep depression. And this pop group from, from Liverpool came over and they were fun. And uh, America needed something to, you know, to, to be happy about. You know, there's a lot of great material on the web. Uh, you can read the Warren Commission on the web. You can read the House Select Committee on Assassinations on the web. If you, if you differ with the uh, traditional uh, Warren Commission position, uh, one of the things I've done is I tried to ask myself, who is the best person on the other side who disagrees with the Warren Commission view? Mm -hmm. Who is the most credible person? And I came to the conclusion, the most credible person who held a conspiracy was G. Robert Blakey. G. Robert Blakey was lead counsel for the House Select Committee on Assassinations. He knows a lot about the assassination. So I thought he believes there's a conspiracy. He is a good attorney, um, taught at Notre Dame University, personal friend of Robert Kennedy. I figured he's got to be credible. I read a couple of his books, including one that I'll recommend, The Plot to Kill the President. Uh, Blakey thought that the mob had a hand in killing Kennedy. Um, he thought that Jack Ruby had ties to the mob. Oswald may have had ties. Uh, and the mob put Ruby up to, to snuff out uh, uh, Oswald. Of course, the problem is uh, if you need somebody to kill Oswald, then you need somebody to kill Ruby. Then you need somebody to kill the man who kills Ruby. Yeah. So it doesn't quite work out, you know, the way you want it to. Well, the other thing, too, is uh, I think you've brought this out at other times, is that Oswald is the least likely person that the mob would use. That's exactly right. I, I honestly... Uh, the mob wouldn't have anything to do with Lee Oswald or Jack Ruby. Um, they, you couldn't get Oswald to do anything. Uh, he was impossible. And uh, Ruby was completely unreliable. But like we know about the school shooters, uh, you can be deeply troubled and still pull, you know, uh, you, you can still shoot a gun. That's right. So Robert Blakey, good person to read the plot to kill the president uh of course one of my favorite scholars vincent Boyosi, his book reclaiming history the assassination of president john f kennedy calls it reclaiming history because he says history has been taken over uh, by conspiracy now it's not for the uh it's not an easy read it's 1600 pages and then there is uh online you get another thousand pages <laughs> <laughs> kind of heavy I, when i was reading it, it's kind of you, you have to hold it it's like a, a tome but i worked my way through it and it's it's probably the most definitive book but another book gerald posner case closed lee lee harvey oswald and the assassination of jfk uh you can read robert blakey interviews on frontline um there have been duplications of the assassination that have been carried on uh, you can get all of that online. I have an article on my Reflections blog about the JFK assassination that goes through a lot of this. So don't don't uh, don't accept me or the Warren Commission. You know, question it. I, I even have an article entitled um, 
the JFK assassination plus 50, the five most interesting books on President Kennedy's death. So lots of lots of good stuff uh, to work yeah. it through. And again, I'm not so much interested in the Kennedy assassination as I am with how do we think through conspiracy theories? Yeah, that, that's a good point. I appreciate that. Uh, by the way, I typed in uh, Warren Commission report and got right to the site. Yeah, it's uh, archives and it's the National Archives, uh, JFK assassination records. And it's got a table of contents so you can look through and see what you're in for. And uh, I'm intrigued. I, I, I'm one of those who has not read it, but I think I'm going to start uh, taking a look at, you know, a few of these chapters at a time, Ken. So you got you got me interested in it anyway. So well, I, you know, I love American history. This is a tragic part of our history, but it's but it's an important part of our history. And, you know, I I uh, I, I, I think about I, I think about a lot of I think about these counterfactuals. What if JFK had lived? Would we have would Vietnam have played out the same way? Um, would there be as much mistrust today, Dave, as there is if this assassination and others like it uh, had not happened? Right. And, you know, uh, and we need, I, I want to encourage young men and women who might be listening, maybe you want to choose a, a journalism career, actually be a be a fine journalist, be a journalist that's dogged, that, uh, you know, completely honest. Um, we, we need good people to go into all these fields. Um, I want the truth. Give me the truth. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, just another comment on JFK. You, you talked about how it was a very sad time. Uh, it certainly was. But uh, also, uh, he had to deal with the Cuban Missile Crisis. Yeah. You, know, you, you mentioned the Cold War. I mean, that was an event that, I mean, we, we think we're living in dark times. That was quite a dark time there as well. So, boy, oh boy. I, re I remember my dad uh, telling me there might be a war. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I, I also remember the only time I ever remember my dad coming home early from work was when Kennedy had been killed. Uh, and my mom and my dad, my mom cried. My dad had a very serious look on his face. And I, I remember being a five-year-old watching the news when, when Oswald was shot, mm -hmm. thinking to myself, whoa, this is action adventure. Yeah. yeah. All right, Ken. Well, thank you for your insights. Uh, I, I greatly appreciated listening uh, as you went through all of that. And I'm sure our listeners will benefit from it as well. Thank you for listening to this podcast and reading Ken's books. I'm sure you're happy to hear about that, Ken. In fact, here are some comments that have come in. Uh, we praise God that you are willing to put in the hard work of writing books and re we reap the benefits. Thank you so much for your dedication to the Lord and to us. This is from Donna Henderson. Uh, here's another comment. I'm reading Christianity Cross-Examine slowly, Ken, and am, as I have with all of your books, learning a lot. I appreciate the scriptures you share on Jesus being God and on the Holy Trinity, God in three persons, blessed Trinity. Keep up the good work, Diane Rogstad. 
Hey, wow. where where hey. we that name? <laughs> she, she's the real thinker in the family. There you there go. You go. <laughs> and here's one more. Uh, as great as your writing is, the cherry on top is your attitude in the discussions. You truly and consistently model what it means to give a defense with gentleness and respect. Wes Mewborn. Well, thank you for those uh, comments. Uh, keep them coming. I'm sure. Uh, uh, Ken, you appreciate hearing from that, and uh, I sure do. You, you like writing books, uh, but you do say that they are difficult uh, to write as well. But here, you're hearing the effects of some of that. So, so keep writing those books. It gives me something to do. I get to help edit them as well. Well, and I, I, <laughs> I want to make a note that uh, I think the person who's helped me the most in my writing in my life is is Joe Aguirre. He. Uh, you know, he knows it doesn't come out super smooth right away. So, Joe, you've been, you've been, uh, you know, the work you do at Reasons to Believe is very important. And, you know, you're, you're not only our host here on the podcast, Straight Thinking, but you've, you've had a, an entire career of editing uh, various scholars' books and articles. So thank you for what you do. Thanks, Ken. I sure appreciate that. All right, that's going to wrap it up for this uh, podcast. Uh, you keep those comments and questions coming. If you have a question, perhaps uh, Ken will take it up as a topic. Uh, you've done that a number of times based on your engagement on social media. So you can reach Ken via his Twitter handle at RTB underscore K samples. And uh, if you are not reading Ken's blog, uh, please uh, drop in and take a read there as well. Reflections by Ken.wordpress.com. Ken writes a blog and uh, releases those uh, every other week. So don't miss out there. All right. You can subscribe to this podcast by uh, subscribing to the Reasons to Believe podcast on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, and Spotify. And you'll get an episode delivered to you each week. For Ken Samples and Dave Rogstad, this is Joe Aguirre with a reminder that the goal of apologetics is not victory, but truth. Thanks for listening and join us for the next edition of Street Thinking. Thank you for listening. Your prayers and financial support are reaching people with reasons for faith in Jesus Christ, our Creator and Savior. To allow Reasons to Believe programs like this to continue, make your gift today at reasons.org.